Hi there, Investing Edge listeners. It's Daniel Schwartzman. I'm pleased to present the first public episode from Value Investors Edge Live's latest virtual investor forum. Hosted as always by Jay Minsmeyer of Value Investors Edge and Seeking Alpha, the forum has been running this week with 15 live conversations with industry analysts, management teams, and analysts from the Value Investors Edge team. It includes top analysts like Michael Weber and Ben Nolan, executives from Costa Marais to Dorian LPG, and industry experts such as Lorian LaRocco and James Catlin of Value Investors Edge. You can check out the full forum on Value Investors Edge. Just mosey over to SeekingAlpha.com and search Jay Mintzmeyer or Value Investors Edge in the search bar, or go to SeekingAlpha.com slash marketplace and search for the same. Jay and Value Investors Edge will be near the top of the list. The first interview features Jay speaking with International Seaway CEO Lois Zabraki, as well as their CFO, Jeff Prybor. There's been a lot that has happened in markets since the two joined Value Investors Edge Live in January. So I hope you enjoy the conversation and get caught up on what's going on in the industry. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the next day of our virtual investor forum focusing on the coronavirus and the recent oil price war. This morning, we're hosting International Seaways, CEO Lois Sabraki and CFO Jeff Prybor. They're here to talk to us about the crew tanker markets and recent interactions they've seen with the coronavirus, as well as the recent spike in VLCC rates. Uh, Lois, Jeff, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yes, good morning. How are you? Well, you know, it's been a crazy few days. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Just a disclosure for everyone listening, we are recording live on the morning of 17 March 2020. It's about 8.30 Eastern. I do have a long position in International Seaways. Uh, nothing you hear today constitutes investment advice in any form, uh, nor official guidance uh, from Lois and Jeff. So again, uh, again, welcome. Let's uh, let's start off with the obvious one: uh, coronavirus, right? Big black swan uh, for 2020. Um, how did that initially impact your markets, and what sort of indications are you still seeing uh, across the board because of that? So maybe I'll jump in to start. So. We did start to see uh, a fall off, but it was really a combination of the coronavirus, as you recall, uh, really flared up during the Chinese New Year. So during the Chinese New Year, you have a natural dip in uh, chartering and uh, deliveries in any case. And then you started to see the coronavirus come in on top of that. So the VLCC market in particular, showed uh, a dip down to $25,000, $30,000 per day, something like that for three, four weeks um, in, in the early part of the coronavirus impact before uh, we got into the trade war. Yeah, it's been a is pretty uh, massive uh, downturn there. And then, of course, the Chinese New Year didn't help. And then we had the uh, coronavirus impact and then so what sort of uh follow-ons have you seen from china have you seen some more volumes and liftings out of there yet now that they're supposedly coming back online are we still seeing uh, lower overall volumes so it's very interesting what's uh what's happening in the world and there's a lot of uh talk in the markets coming that china uh, will use this opportunity to uh shore up their uh version of SPR, right? And and they may have up to 200 million barrels of spare capacity where, you know, President Trump said that we would also in the United States fill our SPR. Now, whether that's with um, 
international barrels or domestic barrels isn't 100% clear at this time, but we have somewhere around 77 million barrels of uh, spare capacity that could could uh, be, you know, long-term strategic reserves contrasted with, uh, you know, China's uh, reserves. So we, we haven't really seen a slowdown, but it is not very clear where a lot of these barrels will be going in the market uh, that we're seeing fixed today. They're fixed with a lot of options. Yeah, it seems like there's it seems like there's a lot of weird sort of routes developing as well. We're we're seeing a huge loads out out of the uh, Middle East Gulf uh, heading over towards the U.S. Gulf and almost like a domestic uh, dumping sort of posturing. Um, have Have you been seeing some similar things like that? Uh, any other weird sort of routes that uh, maybe normally you wouldn't be expecting? Well, I think uh, Vela, or used to be Vela Bahri, uh, w- which is the uh, Saudi arm and, and controlling their movements, are rather wise in the way that they're doing their chartering, and they're not—they are fixing with um, Middle East to the Far East options for discharge, as well as options west to the uh, U.S. Gulf for discharge. So. These ships are being fixed uh, a, a bit out into the future, and as long as they fix with that type of optionality, I think that gives them more freedom. But indeed, it does seem that more barrels than than what is typical are, are slated to come west. Yeah, it's, it's definitely keeping their options open, and, and we'll see how things re- respond. I, I think the United States capacity for their SPR is about 94 million barrels, so it's you know it's interesting that China's got double that volume, and and China's of course would be all international barrels, whereas with the United States, we, we still don't know. I, I think uh, President Trump suggested it was going to be domestic, uh, but we, we actually haven't seen any purchases yet. So we'll have to see how those come through. Um, how are you benefiting directly from this, right? I mean, the, the rate surge is obvious, but um, how many ships do you have available in this market for VLCCs? I mean, I know you have a lot that were already on charter. I know you had a few that were in the yards. Um, is it, what, what's sort of your benefit at this point? Well, I would say that this is where it really showcases a vehicle like Tankers International, where you have uh, the largest VLCC fleet in in the world. And therefore, even if an international seaways vessel is not available, there are ships that are available to take advantage of these rates. You're absolutely correct in, in identifying that. I, I know everybody gets uh, reads the headlines in, in Trade Winds and Lloyds, and they pick the one vessel that's you know, fixed at the moon, the vessels are fixing on the way up and it will flow through our earnings. That is for certain. But, you know, you you, w- you would not say that the whole fleet is fixed at an average of $150,000 a day, right? So it's most directly immediately affecting the VLCCs. It is now cascading down into the Suez Maxis, where if a charter is able to do so, they'll split a uh, 2 million barrel cargo into two 1 million barrel stems, and they will take a Suez Max if they are able to do that. So we're starting to see that flow down into the smaller sizes, which, which is, you know, will benefit us all over the place. And you're also seeing it, that collapse in crude prices made it so that you actually had a refinery margin in, um, in, like the U.S. Gulf and the East, and you saw the response on the product carriers as well, because that's positive for the refineries, at least until every, you know, the pricing catch up, catches up. 
Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Uh, let's speak. I mean, it's just napkin math, of course, but, you know, splitting a VLCC in half, right? Because Suez Max is 1 million barrels and the VLCC is 2 million. But there's also, you know, separate engines and separate fuel costs and that sort of thing with the Suez Max. So just, I guess, napkin math. But say you had, let's use round numbers. Let's just say $200,000 on a VLCC. Now, you know, you might say, well, that'd be 100000 for Suez Max. But of course, there's there's fuel costs and so on. So is it maybe like 30 or 40 percent or, or kind of a rough napkin number that, that folks could look at for those? I, I had not done that, I, you, you know, because you, you're basically just talking about your additional uh, port charges. And then to your point, you know, your uh, additional fuel costs um, on a, you know, a Suez Max burns less than a V. You know, right now the, the Suez Maxes are popping up where if you were to fresh a, fix a fresh Suez Max today, uh, you, you would be rising up uh, somewhere north of, you know, certainly north of $60,000 per day and potentially even higher. Uh, you could be, you, depending on the route and your prompt positioning, you could be closer to $100,000 a day. But <clears throat> the VLCCs are also all over the place uh, around 200 grand a day, but you wouldn't say it would be 100000 a day because um, the market will respond independently. And there are certain trips where, you know, not every vessel, uh, mostly out of West Africa is where you see them split the 2 million barrels into a million barrels and, and vice versa. So they cannibalize one another. I'd have to run the numbers, uh, Jay, to give you a, a quick uh, thumbnail. I don't have that available yeah, right now. Yeah, that's fine. And But what you can say, Jay, is it's clear for uh, everyone listening that there is a strong correlation between the Suez Max and and the V's. It doesn't work out so well necessarily as napkin math is just being, as you put it, 50% or 40%. Some, it, it can actually be higher than that. But, but you can be assured because of the effect that Lawless is mentioning that when the V's go up, they will pull the Suez Max up. There's a, there's a very strong correlation. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And, and the kind of, I, I guess, even more interesting part is that when VLCCs went down because of China's quarantine and, and all the coronavirus impacts, uh, the Suez Maxes were actually more resilient, right? Because they weren't as dependent on China. So it's like they didn't suffer as much on the downturn. And, and now they're sort of benefiting from the uplift. So it, it's nice to see. And, and yeah, I just exact number is not important. I just wanted to get the point across for anyone listening or on the recording that, you know, it's not just 50%, right? It's probably a little less because of the separate engines and all that. And then, you know, for you take an Aframax, you could say it's one third, but, you know, maybe it's a little less, but, you know, it's just, it's always kind of like, it depends. Um, let's talk about the Panamax market. So what's, uh, how is that market doing? I mean, that's an area where you've done very well, right? Comparatively in the last uh, quarter or so. Um, is there any shift here now, or is that sort of a separate uh, issue? Yeah, I would say that the Panamaxes are are doing their own thing, you know, and they're largely trading uh, in, you know, North and South America and uh, back and forth through the Panama Canal. They've been steadily earning very well. And, you know, I would say for <clears throat> really for uh, longer than a quarter, and they continue to post uh, post healthy, strong numbers. So they they're of course affected, but it has to kind of flow down through you know the V's, Suez, the Afras, and then uh, to the Panamaxes. So they're a little bit um you know a little a little bit separate, but they're posting strong numbers. So you know we feel good about that sector. 
Yeah, it's it's very good that you're, you're basically firing at all cylinders. I guess the last sort of sector you have exposure to is the MR market, MR product. Um, any indications out of that market? We, we've seen the rates, uh, you know, hold up quite well uh, throughout the year to date. Uh, what's sort of driving that? And, and do you think there's further upside or maybe we've plateaued? I think that uh, the you are seeing additional strength in the LR1s and the LR2s, which is a very positive sign because the LR2s in particular, we just had seen over the last six months a healthy number convert over to Aframaxis, you know, just trading dirty. And, you know, that's less than ideal. So the increases that you're seeing on the LR1s and the LR2s are helpful both for that Panamax sector on the crude and uh, for, for the MR market, because it just sort of lifts the product carriers overall. And I think that's a result of when you have these rapid price changes in the crude oil, then it changes what the refinery margins are. And all of a sudden it changes the, the mix that the refiners are pulling. So it, it has been a positive on um, the product carriers over, you know, really they, they were, the only ones, the only sector that was doing quite well before, you know, you really saw all this impact from the oil price war. Yeah, certainly, certainly hope that keeps up. We're, we're seeing some very interesting spreads going forward um, where, where refineries uh, just might not be profitable. We'll, we'll have to see. I mean, the oil price is coming down rapidly, so the inputs are coming down. Uh, but at the same time, the the forward curves for uh, diesel demand and, and jet fuel demand are, are also crashing. So yeah, I think it'll be a very interesting summer. Uh, maybe we'll see some storage in, in products as well. But uh, but yeah, I mean, usually when we talk about floating storage, it's always been crude oil, but we'll have to see if there's anything with, with products. Have you heard anything about potential you know storage on like maybe an older LR2 or LR1 or is that mm-hmm. kind of hasn't developed yet? It doesn't seem to have uh, developed yet. And, and I will also say that the fact that the whole world is working uh, remotely uh, really as of yesterday is, you know, it also, uh, it, it affects things, you know, it affects uh, the cargo, you know, how, how quickly information is flowing and um, how everything is happening. And I think uh, this coronavirus has taken everybody uh, aback. And it's causing a little bit of reflection and before I think the markets all uh, get back to normal. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good segue to, you know, it's, it's easy to forget about the human impact of things, right? We, we, get, we sit here and we talk about the rates, but, you know, let's, let's talk about that really quick. So how is the coronavirus, I guess, impacting your direct, you know, office operations and, and your working environment? And then as related to that. Um, how does it impact you know, the crews on your vessels? And I know you don't work with them directly, right, face to face, but anecdotally, are, are we having any issues with, uh, you know, crews getting uh, sick or, or needing to be quarantined or morale or anything like that? So we, we consider ourselves to be pretty directly, in, you know, uh, linked to our, our coworkers, really, that are that are at sea. And I have, uh, you know, sent messages out to the fleet essentially, you know, knock on wood, we have not had anybody come down with coronavirus. However, you know, what is happening is that the repatriation of crews worldwide has become infinitely more complex because countries are not wanting you to disembark your people or allowing you to send your people um, easily to sea. 
So uh, thus far, you know, we are staying in very close communication with all of our crews, but I, I think that they are on the uh, front lines of, of this and they are, as usual, you know, doing an amazing job of soldiering on and, and getting through things. So uh, the, the, I think that is where, uh, you know, the challenges, uh, you know, the challenges are uh, logistically. As far as our shore side, uh, our head of IT is our, our worldwide Corona czar, and he had us. Um, he was working for a couple of weeks to make sure that we would be set up to work remotely as required. And uh, as of uh, right now, you know, our teams are are working um, full on, uh, but not together. Okay, that makes sense. Are, is anyone you know directly teleworking, or is there people just working you know in the office, but but was separated? We we are working uh, remotely from our homes, and you know um, we have uh, some uh, some presence going to the office to make sure that everything is uh, copacetic there. But basically, everybody's working remotely. Good. I, I'm glad to, to see that you're able to make that work, and you know that you had the foresight. Uh, you had that IT guy on the case a few weeks ago, and um, you know if if only everybody else had the same you know level of foresight, we'd. Probably be looking a little bit better now, but uh, anyways, um, better late than never. So let, let's pivot back a little bit. But you know, when, when we organized this forum a couple of weeks ago, the oil price war hadn't kicked off yet, so it was the coronavirus and IMO 2020 progression forum or, or whatever. So let's talk about IMO yeah. 2020, right? When I first invited you, so yeah. let, let's let's talk about that. How what's your current scrubber update and anything you're seeing in that market? You know, it is it is funny when you look at the list of questions. You think, oh, IMO 2020, because you know have that you have the avalanche of the oil prices, which uh, dwarfs, you know, really uh, as well as the coronavirus, right? It's kind of dwarfing the IMO 2020 issues. You know, if we take it from the ground up and we say, uh, technically, our our uh, crews, our engineers, and uh, the technical management have been able to um, avert any issues really with you know engines and running fuel. You know, one of the things that I, I think is evolving here is now that Saudi has decided to crank up, uh, there will be uh, more heavy barrels on the market. And that should translate into uh, lower high sulfur fuel prices uh, on the marketplace for us on our scrubber fitted VLCCs as that flows through the system. It's, probably a little bit early for it, but a lot of those barrels that they're, they have cranked up to get over 12 million barrels a day are indeed heavy, Arab heavy, where that had had been a little bit less prevalent in the marketplace uh, previously. So I think that will be a positive for uh, the, the lower price of the high sulfur fuel oil. And if, if we look at uh, our scrubber situation, um, we sailed our our fourth uh, scrubber fit at VLCC from the yard and um, she knock on wood should be able to uh, fix into this market at a quite an, an impressive rate that would be the Everest um, the McKinley uh, the fifth one is not too far behind her then we have uh, two more vessels that will be uh, arriving um, at the yards here coming up so uh Basically, then McKinley has a sale, then I want to jinx her, but she should be out shortly. So then we'll be five done and um, five remaining. 
arrived. So basically 50% done there. And then just to, just to yeah. circle back real quick, a uh, small follow-up. You you had two vessels that were, were trapped in China, right? One of them was the Everest, I think, that you just mentioned. Yeah. So is China's backup and working? That's no longer a, a factor? I would not say that it is not a factor. I would say that it just it's taking longer because uh, let's say you have uh, someone from uh, the UK that has to fly into uh, a yard. They have to be quarantined for 14 days. Anyone moving even really between China and the workers, et cetera, coming back and forth, you know, there's temperature checks, there's a lot of protocols and it's just very challenging to get all the workers there. It is starting to loosen up because I think uh, China is ahead of uh, everyone else on, on the um, coronavirus, uh, you know, uh, pain. So they're starting to get more fully back to work. But I would definitely not say that it's a non-factor, Jay. This this is this is going to take time to work through, and I think their repair yards are. are very busy and uh, backed up, and I'm sure the new billing yards are the same. Excellent, Lois. Yeah, thanks for thanks for uh, cleaning that one up. Uh, non-factors, definitely. <laughs> yeah, not the right not the right word to use. No, no, I'm not being critical. It's just it, it is so important to realize, like logistically, as you can imagine, in response to the coronavirus, kind of the whole world now is shutting down flights, and. And you can just see how it goes through the chain and it definitely builds in inefficiencies that would have been unthinkable to us um, a month ago. Yeah, of course. No, there's there's a significant delay on top of there was already a delay, right? In, in scrubbers based on what yeah. people initially expected. And I think the yeah. delays kind of pushed the installations, you know, into the forty to forty five day range. So is it is it safe to say that if you're getting a scrubber done in China now, you should be planning closer to maybe sixty days? I think so. Okay, yeah, I mean that. Unfortunately, up, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know that brings up a very interesting question as well because you know scrubbers spreads have dropped. And I know you're optimistic about HSFO coming down, but scrubber spreads recently it basically hit all-time lows of like 97 bucks, right? A ton, and so yes. you're, you're looking at you got five done basically, right? Four and the fifth one's basically almost done. Yes. Um, you got five to go. Um, scrubber spreads only 97 dollars. VLCC markets are hitting 150, 200, 240, you know, whatever the recent, you know, headline is. Um, you're in a similar situation as you were last fall, right? But even maybe even more dramatic because now the spreads for sure are, are you know, I mean, they're not bad, but they're not, you know, last fall, you didn't know what the spreads would be. I mean, now you know what the spreads are. Yeah. So what is your obligation to do those scrubbers? Can you delay them another two, three, four months? Can you cancel them all together? Or is there a commercial obligation to, to do this dry dock soon? We are combining on these, on, on most of the vessels that are remaining, we're combining their uh, actual dry dock with the uh, scrubber installation. So to the ex extent that we're doing that, we will likely hold the program. But we are in constant dialogue around, uh, you know, any whether or not we would incrementally push additional vessels or not. Okay, excellent. So you've you've contracted. You do have to, you know, pay for the scrubber at some point, um, but you could delay it so it's just like a normal dry dock. So then we're only talking uh, what maybe twenty additional days as opposed to that sixty. We, well, in, and that was the case in, in, on, on the uh, generate the former generate vessels. In any case, those six we had bought that we at least on five of them had um, combined the dry dock with the scrubber installation from the beginning was our, our strategy. So 
the incremental time, you know, is, is only that, right? The, you're, you're, you're accomplishing multiple goals. Yeah, it's, it's just interesting dynamic. And, you know, I, I'm hopeful and I know you'll do, you know, whatever you can, right, for the best commercial result. But it is just interesting to see, right, you have those five shifts and, and the market is changing so rapidly. So uh, just, you know, it, it's encouraging if you don't have to dry dock them, right, in, in the coming weeks or coming months and you can just take advantage of these markets. And then, you know, next time when the rates eventually, you know, weaken, it would be just an excellent timing, right? Best laid plans, but, uh, you know, something to something to think about. Um, what is the remaining? capex for the rest of the scrubber program just so just in terms of purposes of, of keeping on top of that you, you know uh, Jeff, perhaps we should, go ahead well i think we we uh, uh i don't have it right in front of me but it should be on the website uh for from the last uh conference call but you know i think that the uh remaining capex this year is, is in the neighborhood of uh like 30 million bucks all right, excellent. Thirty million. Yeah, I was, I was just kind of, I guess, building up with that question. So we're we're looking at thirty million, you know, in additional capex, and then of course you have uh, loan amortization from your new facilities. Um, but at the same time, you know, the cash flow coming in is quite strong, and your liquidity balance is is quite high. Um, can can we talk about sort of what is a, I guess, target leverage? Because your leverage is is quite low, right? Can we, can we talk about what a target leverage is for for your company, and sort of what a target liquidity is? And I guess the point of doing that is to say, like, well, you know, what is your excess liquidity? Like, how much do you have available opportunistically in this market? Sure. Uh, well, as you mentioned, our, our leverage uh, is at net loan to value. Uh, just looking at our um, conventional vessels as value, uh, the main fleet is, is about four, just about 40 percent. Right. So that. We're, we're pretty happy with that. We don't view that as a as under levered or view it as a, as a good leverage target uh, that gives us a lot of flexibility, you know, and uh, low break evens and flexibility for the future to allocate capital, you know, as is best done. So I, I think uh, starting there and having a sort of a, a natural um, amortization schedule with our debt, you know, is a is a good place to be. So let's start with that, Jay. Well, and then I guess you know you asked about liquidity. You know, we um, disclosed that we had 150 million dollars of cash at the end of the fourth quarter and an undrawn revolver, bringing us up to 200. But we also um, noted at the time that the financing that we closed in January, which is a very favorable, low cost and high, high flexibility uh, bank financing. It was essentially a, a little bit of a, a deleveraging event that, that gets us to this level that we mentioned around 40 percent. So we used uh, some of that liquidity, uh, you know, in Q1 to delever. Uh, we still think we have a very good liquidity position. I think we disclosed it was a, a good 130 million of cash uh, plus 40 million of undrawn revolver in a new facility. You know, so that's that, that's that's again an attractive place. To, to be to start with, and then we'll kind of see where the cash co goes from there. As you, you and Lois were talking about, you know, the year started with a high number, a lot of high expectations on cash, and then the COVID nineteen effect in, in in the East brought rates down to where they're uh, fortunately still at or above cash break evens, but a lot less cash expected. That was phase two of the year, and. Now we're in phase three, which is, you know, the, the price war starts. And so the rates go back up and, 
uh, you know, take a look and see, you know, that, that, that likely we should expect to, you know, more cash, you know, but we're, we're, that the volatility just shows you what you want is flexibility and then go quarter by quarter, take a look at where you are and see what you can do in terms of, uh, of capital allocation by, by way of, of dividend or share of purchase or whatever is appropriate. So that's how we're going to approach the rest of the year. Yeah, Jeff, definitely makes sense. You, you got a methodical approach to things. Um, are there any sort of covenants in, in the new debt facility? Because I mean, it was otherwise a very attractive right facility. It helped you delever. It would, it, it's a good flexibility, low interest rate. Are there any sort of covenants uh, in relation to dividends and share repurchases? Anything related to net profits or cash flows? Anything like that? Uh, well, we don't have that covenant that you see in some bank facilities or in bonds uh, of, of limiting. Uh, the dividend to a percentage of, of net income or something like that. Uh, we do have a, a uh, agreed amount that of liquidity at the key as a minimum, which is uh, this is all disclosed in the credit facility as part of the 10K exhibits. Just just to be clear, uh, it's 50 million dollars of cash and, and another 25 million dollars of, of liquidity on top of that required. But, but as long as we're doing that, we're, we have. Uh, flexibility to to dividend or share of purchase, so it's it's, it's really a uh, uh, pretty good flexible facility in that regard. Yeah, no, it's it's certainly certainly helpful and, and flexible in this regard, like you mentioned. And look, I mean, we have a high cash balance, right? Operating cash flows are even during the you know I guess peak of the coronavirus in China and the depth, I guess, of the VLCC rates. Uh, the rates were not terrible. I mean, they weren't good, but they were like thirty thousand, right? So even even at the depth, you were you know clearly cash flow positive, um, especially when you look at how well your Suez Maxes and and your Panamaxes were doing and the LRs as well. Um, so you know you don't have a lot of uh, capex, right? You only have a few dry docks. They might be delayed even. Um, the dividend is is a token, right? It's it's six cents. I mean, it, it's basically a rounding error at at some point of things. Um, so, and your leverage is, is very well under control. And I mean, you mentioned 40%, but that's even before you offset, right? Your joint venture and, and stuff like that. And some of your net cash that comes in every day. Um, so what I'm getting at, I guess, is you have a 30 million share repurchase. Um, what's stopping you, I guess, from utilizing that in, in today's market, um, especially given things like we saw yesterday, right? Where, you know, VLCC rates are surging. Um, you're doing everything right. Firing on all cylinders. And I think yesterday your stock was off from 10 to 15%. I mean, it's just just a wild market. So is there anything stopping you from just taking full advantage of that and maybe even starting a new repurchase program? Sure. Jay, I mean, a couple of uh, comments uh, on, on things you said there. First, first, I would want our to say to you and to, to our listeners um, that we don't think of the dividend that we implemented at six cents a share per quarter as as token um and, and and just to be clear you know it, it's it, it adds up to an amount that's about uh depending on market cap which which varies you know a lot in this volatile market but you know it was a little over one percent uh that the, the they implemented it and we're still in that uh you know the general area so while that is uh not uh, a big number I think the important part is, as Lois and I and the board thought a lot about, is let's let's have a fixed component of our dividend. Uh, we think that's really helpful to shareholders, especially if they're not, you know, staring at that shipping stocks uh, six hours a day, which you know, or at ten hours a day, which a few professionals are, but most most don't have the time to do that. So 
the, the message is, you know, like 80% of the S&P 500, we have a, you know, steady fixed dividend that while not huge is greater than T-bills and or whatever you're going to get on cash. So let's start with that. And, and then I'd go on to say, yeah, you know, in terms of additional cash for uh, uh, beyond that fixed portion for either additional dividend or share of purchase, um, we clearly uh, have the ability to do that. Uh, Jay, I just want to make sure you're still there. Are we, are we still talking? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I can hear you. Okay. Good. Good. That's that's great. I wanted to make sure it still had a line. Um, so look, uh, on the share of purchase program specifically, uh, two weeks ago on our, our, our last conference call, earnings call in the fourth quarter, when we, all, we announced the dividend, we also said, hey, we have a $30 million share of purchase program. Uh, we think that our own shares trading at a significant discount to um, net asset value uh, are the most attractive uh, thing to buy out there. Uh, I think that was a pretty clear signal that that of what we mm-hmm. want to do with our cash. But I don't know that we could say a lot more than that, other than the, that 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 we 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 recognize and we said that that we thought that uh, shares look cheap and that using the uh, share buyback program made a lot of sense. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Look, looking for a, a firm reendorsement of, of that share uh, repurchase program, of course, and, and and of course you've had that that thirty million dollar program for for quite some time. Right. And, and we're not repurchasing shares. Obviously, realize, right, a different balance sheet. Uh, you had a refinancing priority that we had talked about right on previous calls. So it, it wasn't necessarily a shock that you hadn't used that program. But it, there is a difference right between announcing a program and mentioning it and then actually using it. Um, so as investors, obviously, we're, we're watching the stock, you know, our company, right, trade at, at 60 cents on the dollar. And we're watching these surging VLCC rates, and then we're turning into the craziness of 16 March. And, I, and who knows? The market's opening in 30 minutes. Who knows what today will bring? Um, but there's just this absolute, absolute disconnect, right, between uh, these shipping stocks and their performance and the underlying stock. And, and we just encourage you to take advantage of that. Um, so it sounds like you will. Um, we, we look forward to the the Q1 results, and uh, you know, the closer you can get uh, to running out of repurchase authorization, as in spending the entire 30 million, uh, the better. Um, if, you know, rates stay where they are and you come back Q2 with uh, with another 50 million, uh, that would be awesome. Um, yes, the dividend, um, it's nice to have a little bit of a fixed component. Um, you know, every investor is different, right? And, and there's nothing wrong with returning cash to shareholders. Um, I actually am a big fan of a smaller dividend and a bigger repurchase, but it's all situational. And I'm sure you're the same way, right? I mean, if the stock was trading above NAV, then we wouldn't be talking about repurchases, right? We'd be talking about dividends. So I think you're doing everything well. Um, just really, really wanted to hammer that repurchase point because, you know, so many of your peers do not have the ability that you have, right? They don't have a clean balance sheet. They haven't just completed a refinancing. Uh, they're not benefiting from from the surge in rates. Um, obviously, crude tanker companies are, but you know, dry bulk companies aren't. So it is good to see um, somebody doing it right. We appreciate Thank that, Jay. You definitely ha- hammered home the point. Excellent. And and did I mention I'm long the stocks? So I got to I got to disclose that I'm I'm not a uh, I'm not an unbiased participant in this call. So uh so yeah, with, with that said, um let's just pivot one more time back to these huge rates. Um uh, because I, I think a lot of people see them but they say, well, this feels like that Costco spike. 
and and the costume spike was good, but it was very short lived, right? It was like a week or two, and I think it was like fifty or sixty percent of the fixtures got canceled. Um, is this different than the Costco spike? Is, is there a little bit more legs to this thing? Totally different. Yeah, no, it's totally different, Jay. I'm sorry to interrupt you there. It's it's completely different in the sense that you know the Saudis have the wherewithal to do what they say, and they have already started to sell their cargoes pump extra crude and uh they they came out they have been the biggest player on the spot market um fixing and uh, securing a vlcc tonnage for you know second half march dates right so um the market will breathe a little bit as we uh you know head into some early april has been fixed but um not a preponderance of um you heading into the the middle decade yet so you know, as long as the Saudis uh, decide that this this is their choice, they will they will effectuate those additional barrels. So it's it's quite different than um, October, which was not just a extra inundation of oil on the market. It was simply uh, heading into seasonal. You did have additional oil coming, but it was from all different markets being pulled by the winter season, um, where this is a push coming from Saudi. Yeah, it's, it's definitely looking to be different. So I appreciate you uh, clarifying from your angle, right? Because you, you see different things than I see. All I see, you know, the reported fixtures. Um, but we did notice mm-hmm. over 50 fixtures came out last week. And about 35 to 40 of those have been fully confirmed, right? And, and only six or seven yeah. have been canceled. Where and, and these are huge ones too, like 200, 250, 300,000. Whereas I think with Costco, it was like 50 or 60% got canceled. So that is, it, it's uh, Or, or even more, I think, yeah. Yeah, phenomenal to see. So, anyways, I think I think we covered most of the points. I, I got to you know pull out the baseball bat and, and, and beat that horse on the on the uh, repurchases. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we'll see that coming through. Um, any other final kind of notes on on either market observations or I guess kind of advocacy for for Seaways in this environment? Why why should investors pick Seaways over um, any other tanker company? So I, I think that you know our approach. You know, we are beautifully positioned to take advantage of the market and and where it is right now. You know, we came into the year, we executed that refinancing. Our our leverage is lower. We've got our, you know, mixed size suite so that when the uh, VLCC rates were low, the middle of the fleet was looking very strong. And now the VLCCs are coming on, uh, you know, just, you know, at, at, at an unbelievable you know, rates that they're posting. So Seaways really, I, I think, has the optimal position in the market. And then, Jeff, do you want to chime in? Well, I think you said it pretty well. I just would, would first say, you know, the sector in general is uh, is uh, fortunate that uh, we're in a good position. Uh, you know, our, all of our stocks were hit, like every stock been hit at this point. But before the recent hit to the broader market, I, I think we – we in the sector took a uh, there was a big chunk out of the rates that that are out of the stock price that we feel if I'm an investor I'm looking at that hey you know there is going to be an effect uh, it's already uh, of the COVID virus but it's already mitigated in part by uh, in large part by the uh, price war action so that that cuts back the effect of it and you know, no one wants to minimize the, the, this uh, this 
serious virus and the and the worldwide effect. But you know, when when there is uh, recovery, you know, our, our sector looks pretty good for a way to participate in recovery. And and as Lois said, as a company in the sector, I think the combination of the excellent operation of Lois and her team uh, of the ships with along with the, the balance sheet and the capital allocation discipline that we've talked about. I, I hope that's as a part that that's, that's, that's the idea. Yeah. And I guess Jay, you know, before we open it up to, to questions, I would leave it with the, you know, that we, we hope everybody, uh, you know, that that's listening and, um, you know, take safety measures and, you know, all, all of us uh, emerge on the other side of this thing. Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Lois and Jeff, for a really good uh, summary of, of the situation. And and yeah, of course, uh, it, it is, I guess, a blessing to have this sort of market where even though things are going so roughly, right, we, we still have support for our market. And then, of course, on the human side of things, right, that we're taking care of our, our uh, crews at sea and also the onshore staff and, and everything is has been taken care of. So that was, that was very good to hear. I think we uh, we wrapped pretty much all the questions into the dialogue. Um, so I, I very much appreciate your time this morning, Lois and Jeff. It's always a pleasure to host you guys here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for another live session of our COVID-19 and oil price war forum. We just hosted International Seaways Management, uh, CEO Lois Sabraki and CFO Jeff Prybor. As a disclosure, I do have a long position in International Seaways shares. Nothing you heard this morning constitutes investment advice or official gu company guidance in any form. This is recorded on the morning of 17 March 2020 prior to market open. Uh, positions may change in the future. <laughs>